Cinnabuds, Cinnabuds, two buddies talking about cinema. This is Cinnabuds. I'm 889's Justin Parney. I'm Milwaukee Films' Christopher Pollard. And today we are talking about the Academy Award winning best pictures of the 1940s. Yeah, buddy. So in quarantine, I have taken on the, I just like having a project and having something to look forward to. And I've always wanted to watch all the Academy Award winning best pictures that I haven't seen. And what better time than now? Now's the time. How so many do you watch, watch a day, do you think? Do you just watch one a day? I'm watching one a day, and I am very militant about watching one a day. Oh, really? Uh, yes. Gotta gotta get it, and I have not missed a day yet. Wow. So every single day. And that, that's been – part of it has been so cool has been, has been watching them – in a line because you see how stories change and take place and you like, you see what's going on. So like we're in the 1940s right now. And like, there are key things to understand in the 1940s. Like every, every thing that is awarded best picture is like, this is a, it's a public award. It's giving at a time. And the 1940s, we were in world war two. So a lot of these, so a lot of these movies are, colored by the fact that they were taking place in World War II and also at this time was the Hollywood blacklisting. Yeah. So so this was like the 1940s is a very weird time for for Hollywood and it like shows in the movies that were awarded best picture. Some ones that have lived on now did not win best picture. Yeah. And some that were some that were awarded best picture like miss minerva are never even spoken about now because because they were like when you watch it it's so apparent that this was just given uh, because of the time so what are we what are we starting with so the the winner of 1940 or the movie that was made in 1940 was given in 41 but the best picture of 1940 is rebecca and boy in like a decade where I felt like there were a bunch of bums because of just kind of like films that wanted to be pro-war and things that were just kind of like a lot of the films in in the 40s are just kind of like general propaganda for supporting the troops in the war effort. Rebecca stands out. Rebecca is so good. Have, Have you seen it? See, I, I saw it when I was 14 years old in a English class. So not that long ago. And I, Yeah, not that long ago. It was about three <laughs> years ago. And I feel like I did not have the maturity to accept what I was watching. I think I was really bored. I know there was a big fire. Uh, I know we had to read the book, and I didn't like the book because I was 14 and a <laughs> dummy. As I've established many times, kids are stupid. So I, I, I was a kid, and that's stupid. true. Uh, well... That's unfortunate because it's a great movie. It's, yeah, I need to rewatch <laughs> it as an adult who is no longer stupid. It's directed by Hitchcock for the most part, and uh, you know, in the forties, like there, the pace is really slow for a lot of them. A lot of them are like really long and drag on, and uh, don't yeah. have uh like the most of them. Most of the storylines are like building one point, you know, and Rebecca is like the first movie that is like 
twists and turns. There are there yeah. is so much going on this in this movie. It's like one second this is happening, and the next second this one is happening. It is a wild ride. Like there weren't really like wild rides at this time. It stars Laurence Olivier yeah. and Joan Fontaine. They are great, but it's really. It's Alfred Hitchcock's directing and the storyline that just is so propulsive and goes from one thing to the next. It was really wild and really good. So it started off as a good started decade. off a good decade. It will get worse. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait yeah. to hear about it. And uh, stick around right after the break. We're going to talk about the rest of the Oscar winning films of the 1940s. So don't go anywhere. Nonprofit Radio Milwaukee is brought to you by you. A membership contribution is your personal commitment to music and Milwaukee. Visit RadioMilwaukee.org to check out your donor benefits and the thank you gifts to show off your 88.9 pride. And we're back. And we're back. All right. What? So we did Rebecca. You loved it. I didn't like it as a 14 year old dummy and will probably watch it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I am. I have not seen uh, the 1941's best film. Which one was that? How green was my valley? And let me just skip to the tra- skip to the chase. How green was it? <laughs> Did uh, they ever well, tell the th- you? <laughs> the thing is, it's shot in black and white, so you never even uh, know. Art student. That's an art student uh, film where they never tell you how green the valley was. It is, and it, it, I mean, it really is an art student film, and that it was directed <laughs> by John Ford. Ugh. That young upstart. I don't know if I've ever watched a John Ford movie. I just like going in. I was like, John Ford, that was the guy. He had like a patch eye. And he, <laughs> I, you know, I was like, I know, I know he's a big figure, but I don't know if I've ever watched a movie. I do love the classical image of a director of this time is eye patch, beret, riding crop, and jodbers. That is and exactly do- John Ford. Yeah, that's that is like where that kind of iconic look came from. Was a bunch of directors had the eye patch, whether they needed yeah. or not. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Well, how green was my valley? Is uh, it's really well directed. John Ford does it, and it's it's directed in this Welsh mining village, um, uh, which is the whole thing. It's the first of two movies. That both the the winner of the 1941 and 1942 both star Walter Pigeon. Do you know oh, Walter Pigeon? Yes, I, I mean, did not. I did not. I know, know him the name. Him. I don't think I could pick. I, I could pick him out of a lineup, but I don't think I. Uh, I don't. I can't conjure him. You know, after this, it's like after this, the stars are like Rock Hudson, who is just like an incredible hunk and it's like after this it's like a whole lot of like hunky actors walter pigeon not so much no isn't walter pigeon the one he's sort of like a he's like the classic uh, old prospector character that they have a lot could be yeah he's just like he's got a you know a stone face and he's, he's kind of like an older guy uh but he's a great lead and how green was my valley was it was good it, yeah. it wasn't like it didn't blow me away. It it was like it was pretty political 
because it takes place in this mining village and they like yeah. want to start a union. So they go on strike and religion is a big factor in this. The kind of like the best part of how green was my Valley are the shots it was definitely the directing was like, it, it takes place in this mining village that basically is on one street and um, it's Welsh. And I guess I, they talk about like how important singing is to the Welsh people and to this community. And yeah. so there's, so there's a lot of like shots of like a bunch of people singing together, which is like, which is cool. Yeah. Um, it's not the greatest <laughs> movie in the world, but it was, it was good. I, I did. I did like it. Oh, I like the good. shots. couple quick things. <laughs> I just want to say that for some reason, the name Walter Pigeon, I confuse with Gabby Hayes. Gabby Hayes was the typical old, like, oh, God, I gotta get that gold, that kind of character. They're sure. very, very different people. And yeah. it's also interesting how Green Was My Valley won against Citizen Kane, which was also up for best uh, film, and the that Maltese should, Falcon. That, that should not have happened. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean it, was, it was good and it was shot well. It, it's not. Of the other nominees, I've seen Citizen Kane, The Maltese Falcon, and Suspicion by Alfred Hitchcock. All really incredible movies. (laughs) All better than How Green Was My Valley. (laughs) (laughs) Now I want to see How Green Was My Valley just so I can kind of absorb it. Right. All right, 1942, Mrs. Miniver. Yeah, 1942, kind of a big event happened in the United States. Um, we entered into World War II. Never heard of it. And it is apparent in the movies (laughs) that come after. Because Miss Minerva is basically straight-up propaganda. Yeah. It it is, like, not trying to hide it. It's not trying to cover it up. The plot of Miss Minerva is Miss Minerva is the wife to a husband who is in the war and to a son who is fighting bravely. And they are off, like, being celebrated as war heroes. And a German pilot crashes in her town, and she takes care of him, and she's doing her own war effort. So hats off to her. Hats off to the boys. We're in for the war. As I feel like, basically I feel all like the entire I'm movie. in 1942 right now. <laughs> it was it was not great. It was yeah. just like straight it was and and it's not the only one of these movies that was like of course it like it makes sense when you think like okay right. the movies that came out they don't want to send a message that they're anti-war when we've just gotten into this war. A movie came out that is like pandering to um, people, people's sense of real patriotism. And I, I don't want to yeah. downplay like that real sense. Um, and you know, that, that must've had at that time. And, yeah. and having a movie that, that reflects that is important and giving, like giving this award probably did make f- people feel good, which was like what the point of it was, but just like, hasn't really stood the test of time as being like an incredible work of art, like the best picture plays itself to be, right? you know? That's interesting. Yeah. The other uh, the, the other nominees I've I've not seen much. Magnificent Ambersons, another Orson Welles gets snubbed. Mm, yeah. All right, you want to go to 1943? I think I've heard of this film. 1919, the winner of 1943, uh, it was the best film of 1942 cuz that's when it was made. Um is Casablanca. And Casablanca is one of those movies where I was like definitely have seen before is quoted 
you know, so much is like held up and lauded as being one of the best films of this era. Like, does it stand up is what I came in thinking. Yeah. And let me tell you, it does. Okay. Cool. I was really concerned about what you were going to go with. <laughs> Casablanca is fantastic. The yeah. whole thing like sets this vibe. It was like taking place in Morocco, in Casablanca. And it takes like place in this bar is where most of it takes place. It's like this bar that's right. owned by Humphrey Bogart, who is wearing like a white tuxedo most of the time. Iconic and, outfit. And I have never wanted to be in a place in a movie more than I want to be in that bar in Casablanca in yeah. 1941. It is such a vibe. This is a bit off topic. Not really, but sort of. This is a bit of an offshoot. Every yeah. time they'd have drinks in the in the, this era of Hollywood, every time they have a drink, yeah. the drink looks so unappealing to me. I'm not a drinker <laughs> in general. It looks like a watered down soda. It looks like a, it looks like a diet Pepsi that has had like a pint of water added to it. It looks I don't know what it is about the drinks that they and it's always in like a very just straight up very cylindrical boring glass. Yeah. And they just keep refilling it. They look so oh. untasty to me. Of all the gripes to have, <laughs> that I will say, I will say, it's my one criticism about Casablanca. <laughs> that is the most narrow and yeah. weird gripe that when you, you have a film this good, you got to find something <laughs> wrong, and it's I don't want to drink those drinks. Fair enough. This 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 movie also does a whole bunch of other things really well, and um, in like its use of music is really really great they have like the they 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 have a a piano player and he is so good in it and there's also uh played by Dooley wilson uh sam yeah. the piano player yeah. and they also like have a guitarist and they're like there are these moments that incorporate music in a real in a way that like feels really natural and then also, just like the storyline is really good. There's like a love triangle between Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, and Paul Henreid. And um, it's it's really like convincing. And in a, a lot of these movies where – but in this one too, it's like they fall in love in 24 hours and then they're sure that it's like capital L love. I love that how quickly in those movies in westerns and these old movies, you meet someone, you're in love in 10 minutes. You're ready to get married after – or film minutes. It's like they say love at first sight. Like, you know, I feel like people now say that, but it's it's not like, no. you know, it's more of an ideal. Like, this was literally love at first sight. Like, the first <laughs> time they see each other, they're like, getting married. Yeah. Like, let's get married, love. Yeah. Um, Why so not? Th- so that's, 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 like, pervasive in a lot of these movies. Yeah. But this, I, I feel like this movie it didn't feel dated. It didn't feel like this is, this is like, there's nothing like suspicious going on there. Like the, the love triangle was really good and convincing and I loved it. Casablanca definitely holds up is amazing. For sure. Great lines. Great I got acting. To, oh yeah. I got to see, did you go to when the um, Oriental theater had their 90th anniversary, I think, or hundredth, I forgot which. Then they showed Casablanca. Uh, there was, to a, to a full house, like balcony, main house, yeah. 
Uh, I got to see it there. There's an introduction. And if there's ever a place to see it, it's oh, like the Oriental. Where it's, it was like, one of my best film going experiences. Seeing that to a packed house, like, and that's a thousand over a thousand people yeah. sitting there watching Casablanca. There was a, they showed a cartoon, like a Looney Tunes cartoon beforehand. So good. Just like the old days, it was awesome. Yeah, I bet that that would feel the most like being there because that that kind of like is the vibe. You yeah, know? for sure. I mean, you get visually mm-hmm. you are checked into that era when you're there. Let's go on to 1944. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the winner of 1944 is going my way. Have you heard of this one? I have not. For good reason. Uh, this yeah. is not. This is not a great movie. Uh, <laughs> awesome. It is. It is both in the middle of World War II and in the middle of the Hollywood blacklist. So it is boring in as many ways as you could possibly be boring. It is just like the definition of safe. Yeah. It is. Bing Crosby is the lead, and the whole story is like. Bing Crosby comes into a church that needs help, and his way to help this church out is to get a ragtag group of, you know, of ne'er-do-wells to sing beautifully in his choir to get more people to come into the church and save it. And so Bing Crosby saves a church by having a bunch of, you know, kids straighten up their act and sing hymns to God. So it's like bad news bears, but in church. Yeah. Yeah. If that's That's a movie you want to watch and it's like, sometimes like Bing Crosby singing is nice. um, But like, if I want to hear Bing Crosby singing, I'll throw on a Bing Crosby record. Yeah. Going my way. Not great. That's it. That's my (laughs) Bing Crosby. That's pretty good. Is it? All right. (laughs) (laughs) It beat Double Indemnity and Gaslight, which are two incredible film noirs at that time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that does not hold up. Yeah. 1945 was The Lost Weekend. This is an interesting movie about alcoholism. Is basically the whole thing is like Ray Milland plays the lead and he is um, he is like a serious alcoholic and he has to like it's a it's a weekend where he was supposed to go somewhere, but then he ends up getting like stuck at home, and it's like it's literally just him struggling with alcoholism. Oh. And it was it was interesting, and I'm sure at the time it looks at alcoholism as like as a disease. Somebody mentions it being a disease, which I'm sure must have been you know pretty progressive right. at the time. Yeah. And just like kind of just like mentioning alcoholism and having it be about it must have been pretty groundbreaking at the time. You yeah. know, a lot of these a lot of these movies are a lot of the best pictures are the movies that are kind of the most self-important. And yeah. this this or are movies like about a and and capital I important subject. And this was yeah. about that. At the end, I felt like it was kind it was kind of just like um he, you know, he's a writer and he wants to he he can't write because he's lost it and um that's like why he's drinking because he like has lost kind of like faith in him in himself and then at the end is it is kind of like it kind of like perpetuates the idea that um in order to be a good writer you have to have substance issues which oh, sure you know it kind of like it kind of perpetuates that like 
romantic drunk idea right which like kind of like undercuts its entire message that like alcoholism is bad sure. so it was all right yeah Mick, mixed reviews on the yeah. last weekend it won against mildred pierce another great film noir uh, bells of saint mary which is a very sweet movie i like that and uh, another alfred hitchcock spellbound which was also a good one so had a uh, good company that year hitchcock get a lot of awards only winning for Rebecca. 1946. 1946 is the best years of our lives. And the best years of our lives is one of those movies that was just because we were in World War II right. and because we had just gotten out of World War II. And we want here's a movie that has a lot to say about how the how the world and how the US is recovering from World War II. And um you know, it's pretty pretty clear that that's why it got the best. It's about uh, three World War II veterans that return home from the war and kind of like their experience um, indoctrinating themselves back into the lives of civilians. There yeah. are parts. There are parts where it, it. There are parts where it's a good idea, and it's but it's also it's three hours long, and yeah. there are there are bits and subplots and sides that could have just been taken out. And I, I really didn't love this one. Not a big fan. Did win fan. against another year of really great company, the yearling. It's a wonderful life. Henry the fifth and the razor's edge. Those are all, I think I've seen all of those, but I haven't seen the winner. Yeah. That's great. Well, let's go to 1947. 1947 what? is gentleman's agreement. This is one you've seen. This is one I've seen, and I'm excited to talk about this one because this is probably one of my most consistently favorite directors. Oh, cool. So, um, and I don't know much about the director. So it stars Gregory Peck. This is like at the beginning when it was like men that were, you know, kind of homely. This is yeah. like Gregory Peck is, oh, is, is you your get, classic. Now you get the handsome male leads now? Now you get the hunks. The hunks yeah. have showed up. <laughs> Gentleman's Agreement, kind of like, kind of, kind of like previously, like, uh, um, uh, kind of like the lost weekend where it's like, this is about something kind of like saying something important as our, as a society, which I also think is really interesting is like a lot of these movies and a lot of the best pictures are kind of like either are like building a, like a national conscience or like a national identity. And I, I really like the, the, like the thought of these movies kind of like building uh, a national morality through art. Um, right. I think that that is really cool. Like this. So this movie is about Gregory Peck. They, and he, he's a, he's a journalist and he wants to write about uh, the, the pervasiveness of antisemitism uh, in the world. And so he's trying to like think about how he can do this and he decides to tell people that he's Jewish because he's not. And then right. he experiences anti-Semitism like firsthand and then writes this big article about like his experience with anti-Semitism. And that's the whole movie then becomes like what happens when he decides to tell people that he's Jewish and the, the anti-Semitism that he, uh, that he experiences. Right. Um, it's really way. interesting that right after world war two, it, yeah, this director decides to explore anti-Semitism in their own country, in his own country. Yeah, so um, tell me about this director because I don't know anything about him. 
Ilya Kazan, um, he was he was one of the famous characters from the um, the blacklist and the McCarthy hearings because he did name names. That's what they say. He named names. So the whole thing in this era is they wanted people in Hollywood to tell on other people in Hollywood as being communists. Ilya Kazan apparently struck a deal because he was in trouble himself. So he struck a deal and he did name names, which tarnished his credibility for his whole life. In fact, later on, like not long ago, uh, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, I forget how long, he was given an honorary Oscar um, at the Academy Awards. And that was such a controversial thing. Half of this audience stood up, only half. Some stayed seated but still clapped and then even others stay seated and did not clap so there's like three levels of dis- of acceptance wow. or disdain. so he it was tarnishment which is unfortunate because his body of work uh is just so solid every single one of his movies except maybe like the ones he made like in the 70s when he was he was still making f- movies in the 60s and 70s but like in his heyday i mean he did streetcar named desire he did on the waterfront, east of Eden. Do you know um, what the reception was for this? I don't know what uh, what the historical context was of like how it was accepted. I think that would be super interesting because it's like yeah. I wonder if it was like you know they gave it to him to to be like, hey, you can still you know name names yeah. and also win awards. You it's, know, I, I well, wonder if that was some, yeah, some positioning good, there, right? I don't know when it happened either, but he kept making films. Uh, and again, he wasn't blacklisted because of this. So he got to, he got to make films. Other people didn't. And he did. So he's a complicated character. Cause I love his films. He wasn't maybe the best dude. Um, there's a biography I have about him, which I have not started yet, but it's one of my quarantine two reads. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I will say he's tackled like he tackled racism in the late forties with this film called pinky. Um, so it, he has a lot of really interesting content in the stuff that he's done. Um, and he always has amazing actors, kind of cutting edge actors as you go. Um, I could recommend almost all of them, but yeah, love that film. Interesting. Uh, gentlemen's agreement. It there, there's, there's also like a bit where, uh, I was like, you know, they want somebody to write about, uh, the Jewish experience. They could get yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> somebody who's was jewish? To find a jewish writer <laughs> right in the 40s but, yeah and I, it's it's interesting because i just read i literally like i just finished reading the book black like me by yeah. john howard griffin which is uh uh you know in the 50s john howard griffin a white journalist w- paint like took pills to like change his skin pigment and also like stained his skin so that he would like, you know, he passed as uh, an African-American in the South in the 1950s and then wrote this book called black like me where he also, you know, told his story about being, being a black, a black man in, in the South. And it's like, it had a long history as well. And there, there is, there is something about like, you know, having that, you know, that perspective for like for the first time and talking about like how that, how you've experienced that when you haven't experienced it before, as opposed to just yeah. like having always experienced it. Um, but definitely they could have, you know, just got someone who is 
Jewish rights piece. Right. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, so. All right, should we move on to 1948? Yeah, 1948 is uh, Hamlet. Ever heard of it? How do you go wrong with that? How do you go wrong with that? <laughs> of course How do you won. go wrong with that? Um, uh, Hamlet is Hamlet, you know? Have yeah. you seen it? It's Laurence Olivier is is yes. the director. What uh, what do you I, think? I really love it. I'm a huge fan of Shakespeare adaptations into film. So I try to watch I haven't seen all of them by a long shot, but I try to see as many as I can. I really like them. Uh I'm a Shakespeare fan, not a nerd because I don't know that much, but I do enjoy him very much. <laughs> yeah. And so, so how do you I like do, Hamlet? But yeah, I love I loved this Hamlet. I think I've seen all the Hamlets at least, the film Hamlets. I like this one um because I really like the sets. Yeah. They were like really sparse and bare and they yeah. would have like big shots of it from like far away and uh, um it it looked it, it looked really um otherworldly and they yeah. also have like the ghost of of the father right. um which was like really really cool and scary and uh, kind of cool um at the end of the day it is shakespeare so it is like a bit of a chore um you know it's two hours and 34 minutes and like you really got to be paying attention it's one that i would have loved to see on the big screen where you're sure, kind of yeah. like forced to lock in yeah i will say the more of these that you watch the more and God forbid you read a Shakespeare play, but do it. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I do. I, I'm kidding. I think <laughs> I think it uh, it's helpful. Um, but the more of it you watch, the more you it, it's it's easier to to uh, to let it wash over you because the especially if the actors are good, they speak it in such a way that you get through the context and through the language totally what, what's intended. So, I mean, just it's like subtitled films. You just got to keep doing it, and then once you get used to it you're exposed to a, a, a lot of really great content. For sure. I feel like I picked up probably 30% about like what they were actually saying. And then yeah. the rest of it is like filled in by the context and how, and the acting. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. But good. This had, uh, this had good company too this year. But yeah. Who did Treasure go against? The Sierra Madre and Red Shoes. Okay. Some good films that year. Yeah, Trojan okay. Sierra Madre is great. I think that's the one that has Gabby Hayes, <laughs> the old prospector. So I'll have, oh, to, sure. I'll have to look it up. All right, we're at the last one of the 40s. Yeah, let's close out the decade here. It closes out with All the King's Men, which is like a big, uh, sprawling um, look at the life of the rise and the fall of uh, – of a politician in the South at the time. And it has like the famous line, you know, you, you either, what is it? You live long enough to become the villain, you know, either die oh, a hero or live long enough to become the villain. Yeah, gotcha. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Famous line. It's, it's, it was, it was a good movie. It was really interesting to watch the rise and the fall. It's also just like a reminder that politics at that time are different than now. Like the things that were like, the things that were like looked at as being like corrupt and unforgivable are things that we just think of as being normal politics now. You know, yeah. it's like, it's so, it's like interesting at like how, um, 
how uncorrupt it 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 like the the standard was just was higher yeah. and the, like the things that that he does that that people look at as being seen bad or like we just literally think of like that's just how politics works now I, I do love that director. Uh, I'm just now realizing all the stuff that he's directed that I really like. Robert Rawson, who Robert directed Rossin. a film, I think it was Warren Beatty's first film, maybe, or at least one of his first films. It's called Lilith in the 60s. And he did The Hustler and a James Mason film called Island in the Sun. So I need to watch I need to watch that. I have not seen all the Kingsman. And there's a bunch of them that I'd like to he's only directed 10 films, it looks like. I'm very excited because he has an Ilya Kazan vibe where I think he might be like a director who did like a set number of films, not like a hundred, but like 10 to 20. And then they're all, they all seem really solid. So I'm excited to dig into him. Cool. Yeah. Uh, And that's it. That's all the Academy award winning pictures of the 1940s. Man. Well, here's my takeaway. I need to see a lot of these nominated films because though there's a couple of the best films that I'm interested in seeing. A lot of the nomine- nominees, I was like, oh, wow, this is really yeah. good company. And I feel like I missed this one. Yeah, yeah for sure. Just, these are good lists. These are fun lists to look at to see kind of the blind spots you have uh, <laughs> from certain yeah. decades where I'm like, oh, I got to see that. How have I not seen that? Sure. And it is really fun for me to go through and watch each one. And because sometimes I feel like you're watching a movie and you're like, the pressure has to be for it to be good and worth watching. And uh, so you don't want to like watch a bad one or feel like it was a waste of time where like, even with these ones, the bad ones, it's just like, it's part of a larger thing that, you know, that I'm doing of, of watching all of them. So it makes watching a movie that isn't that great, a lot more tolerable because it just feels like, you know, the middle of a movie that you're watching to, you know, get through all of them. (laughs) And, and, and just like seeing kind of like how it fits into the context of things or how like you'll see like a, a, a a bit of craft work or a bit of storyline that hadn't been done before. And it's like, wow, that like, we talk about things being groundbreaking, but you don't see the ground before it was broken. And so (laughs) to like, to kind of like to see that has, has just been such a blast, honestly. Yeah, I would imagine even the ones that are not your cup of tea, but you can still gather the historical uh, like significance of it or just a theme that's occurring, like you said. So that does seem like a really fun way to get through that whole project. Yeah. Yeah. It's like history and art and politics. And it's just like kind of everything like rolled into one. It, yeah. Cool. And as I've said the last time we did this, I'm very mad at you for doing it because this is like the era I will really, really like. And I feel like, oh, I've seen all these movies and now I'm realizing how, how many I need to see still. Yeah. So thank you. And screw you. (laughs) Well, that is the, the Oscar award winning best picture of the 1940s. Uh, Maybe we'll do fifties. I'm halfway through them right now. Yeah. We definitely should keep going. The fifties definitely pick up. You know, there. I, I feel like like the '40s was a bit rocky with the war and the blacklisting. The sure. '50s, like things really, really pick up in a fun way, and there's a lot that are less like just slogging through or are, oh, yeah. you know, of the time. And the the '50s really pick up, and there were some really great ones. Just on a quick look of it, I think there's only two I haven't seen, so uh, I think I'll be a lot more vibrant in that in that decade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Cinnabuds is produced by DJ Kenny Perez. We get handcrafted sonic inspirations from the license lab. That's the beaker in the lab. Yeah, I totally identified that. Um, (laughs) Oh, yeah, the theme song that we murder while we're in quarantine is, (laughs) is written by Mr. Brett Newski. And then we want to thank all the members of 88.9 Radio Milwaukee and Milwaukee Film. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's Steve Steve Martin bit where he goes and says thank you to each every every. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I do like that, though. Uh, So we will thank you all individually. Cinnabons can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. Like, subscribe, share like you do. And that'll do it for this week. We'll see you guys next week. Wait, there's one person that we need to thank more than anybody else. I don't see. I'm not familiar with this part of the show. What what do we do here? <laughs> well, there's there's one person that we we like couldn't do. It's the most important thing, and so I'll just do it. Thank you, K. Polly, Christopher oh, Bowler. I thought you were gonna say Barack Obama, oh. but no, no, I get it. That makes sense. Well, you're welcome. I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to do it. All right. All right. I think that that's all our business for today. All right. See you <laughs> next week. Bye, everybody.